Today, I'm talking to Jill Butler, founder and broker owner of Red Key Realty in St. Louis, Missouri. Jill was a top real estate agent who had held executive and team leader positions at high-profile real estate agencies. In 2012, Jill decided to found a firm of her own. She founded Red Key Realty in St. Louis. Today, Red Key Realty is a brokerage that consistently outperforms the market in both units and volume. The year Jill founded Red Key Realty, 2012, she was also named Entrepreneur of the Year by the State of Missouri and by St. Louis chapters of the Women's Council of Realtors. Today, Jill and I talk about her story, the launch of her brokerage, the incredible innovation. Jill shares how to grow from agent to broker owner. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and all our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where real estate agents tell how they do it. And today on the show, we have got Jill Butler, and she is with Red Key Realty in St. Louis and has got an awful lot to share. I'm so excited to have you on. Jill, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. So first of all, I'm going to give everybody a little bit and then you're going to give us a lot more. So you own a brokerage, Red Key Realty in St. Louis, Missouri. You were selling though. You started your, you got into real estate as a real estate agent about what, 20 years ago? Yep. And you sold for 12 years Mm -hmm. and then you opened, I think you opened a brokerage. You probably built a team, opened a brokerage, and now you've got Red Key Realty. That's it. Yeah. Anything else we should know, because then we're going to, we're going to get your story and all your secret sauce and how you got where you are today. That's that you did a good job of kind of giving the high level view. So that's it. Love it. All right. So how and why did you become a real estate agent in the first place? Um, Well, it was kids. I don't know if anybody's gone through this, but I was in advertising and I loved it. I loved kind of the creative and the business and the sales side. Um, But I would do a lot of client servicing. So sometimes it'd be like nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm with clients at the hockey game. And I had a little girl at home and I just thought, wouldn't it be great to be in real estate because you can be in charge of your schedule. So when I was expecting baby number two, I got my real estate license and decided, okay, now's the time. So I do think it's a good parent job. I know sometimes people are like, oh, you know, you think it's going to be easy, but then you're going to work evenings and weekends. But I love that you can set your own schedule and you can be the room mom. You can do other things and you can still have a really entrepreneurial business. Well, being the room mom is business development as opposed to Uh, in the way. That's right. Yeah. So you became a real estate agent again 20 years ago. And it was to shift to, you liked business, you liked creativity. Obviously it was a good idea to keep working, but you had to make sure it was flexible. So what was it like getting into it? Did it stay flexible? Uh, How did you keep it flexible? And how did you get your first deal? 
Um, okay, I'm going to say this is words of wisdom that I still use today, but that is conflict arises when expectations differ. So I learned the hard way. Yeah. I don't know when you started, but I remember, you know, I was new and I wanted to do business. So I would foolishly say, hey, call me anytime. Whenever you want to see a house, call me. Well, sure enough, it'd be Friday evening, afternoon with my kids and someone would call me and I would be sort of like, oh, like, I don't want to do this. Um, and then I really learned it's, it wasn't their fault. It was my fault because I was telling them, call me anytime. And you can start to set boundaries like, hey, I show property on Wednesday mornings and Saturday mornings. You know, something comes up before that. But let me know if you want to block that time. So just giving them guidance. Cool. People were great. They'd be like, sure, let's go Saturday morning or let's go on the Wednesday. But keeping it open ended, I learned the hard way that, you know, you have to set boundaries to have a good balanced life. It's kind of funny too, because like talking about being a mom, raising kids, it's funny how they want and like these boundaries because it, it gives them something to look forward to and expectations. Yes. But that quote again, conflict arises when expectations deliver. So it sounds like you could have learned that the when hard expectations way. Expectations differ. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Conflict yeah. arises when expectations differ. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Like that kind of makes it, it all simple all the time i mean if you think about it if you say like to client hey i'll call you next week they may think that's monday and you think it's friday so you call them on friday and they're annoyed because they thought it was going to be monday so it's just like being really clear up front it takes a lot of conflict um takes it away wow making sure not only are you setting expectations but they understand the expectations oh, yeah like like really like we're already done with this interview <laughs> So you get it. So now to your point though, when you're a new agent, you're afraid to set boundaries. You just want to get that first deal. Yes. What, how did you get your first deal? What did that, was it harder than you thought? Did you get lucky or was it easy or? Um, so it was phone duty, which I don't even know if that's really a thing anymore because this was, you know, 2002 and people weren't really using the internet much or using it to look for houses. So people would call and want to see one of our listings and you would go show it. Um, our brokerage doesn't do phone duty. So I don't know if it's still a good way to get business, yeah. but it was definitely, you know, you answer the phone and go show property. Well, just like in today's world, you still have to build that rapport. So phone duty you get the call. How do you build the rapport? How do you get the deal? So, you know, I just ask a lot of questions and ask questions like, oh, that's a great house. Are you looking in that area? And then, oh, is that the price point that you're looking at? So I just wanted to start asking them questions. And I would also say um, it's always about the relationship. It's not really about the house. So, oh, are you looking in that neighborhood? And how long have you been looking? And what's important to you? I would also try to know the inventory. So if I knew that area, I would know of other things that were on the market, not our listings, but just saying, oh, okay, there's another one. Have you seen this one? So you want to show up as the that you have information that they want. Exactly. I mean, it's simple. Just know your market yeah. and, be, and be there. And by the way, set boundaries. <laughs> yeah. So once you got that first deal, tell us a little bit about how you got traction what business and what the business started looking like for you. So really how I got started. So I was doing phone duty and then I started doing mailers. And again, I came from a business background. So I really wanted to show up. So if nothing else, like I did a quick little newsletter, but it went out every month. So at least people saw it and were like, okay, she's busy, or at least she's consistently sending something out. So that definitely helped. I will say working your sphere of influence um, and having systems in place, it's good. It can take a while. So 
I didn't love phone duty because um, I didn't love like you may spend two to four hours and you have no idea if you're going to get a client or get a call. So I quickly started looking around at other things and I started doing first time homebuyer seminars. Um, and mm -hmm. again, I just built a system around it. I had a lender who would work with me. Um, title company would do a little bit of it, an inspector, and we would have it at a community center. I didn't want to have it at the real estate office. I wanted it to be kind of neutral territory. And the goal was, you know, if you get five people there or 10 people there, I would always walk away with one piece of business. So I looked at like, hey, I can spend two hours doing once a month and like homebuyer seminar, or I can do phone duty, at least this way, I have a much higher chance. And then everyone who attended, um, you know, you learn little tricks, like have a giveaway and everyone fills out their information and their correct phone number. And um, so you collect that. And then, so if you had 10 people and one person raises their hand and says, yeah, I want to start looking, the other nine can go in your database. And it's funny how once they've met you and you build that rapport, I bet you got a lot of referrals out of that. I did. And then again, like a system, you set it and kind of forget it and just, you know, I have to show up every month and do this. But then it may be a year later, they're on my mailing list and they would call me and say, hey, I took your seminar last year. I'm ready to go. So I loved those clients because, you know, if they are committed enough to show up at a training and learn about it, they tended to be very organized. Um, they they were just ready to go. And the other thing with first time home buyers, they would move frequently. So maybe they're getting married or they got a job. Mm -hmm. So I, for me, it was a really good way to start. Wow. So basically there are three things you kind of touched on there. Number one, be consistent. And by the time you get the end of it, it was be consistent with systems. So number one, be consistent with systems so you can set it and forget it. Number yes. two, know your market. So when you engage with people, you can speak knowledgeably, have the have the rapport, and they want to engage and actually want to hire you so you win the business. But number three is, oh, by the way, do engage with your clients. So set it or be consistent, know your market. And number three, engage with your ideal clients or the potential clients. I love that, yeah. That's your formula and you put those together. So clearly just listening to you, because you naturally, working with a lot of new agents, they don't always know the questions to answer. You knew what to answer. You 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 had some experience in life. You had children, but you got consistent. You knew your market. You engaged with your SOI. You engaged with these events, and you picked up an, a, you picked up a probably a pretty good book of business kind of quickly. Yeah, I did. And um, you know, like anything, I think sometimes as real estate agents, we're always looking for the shiny object. So stick with something like gain mastery. So again, sometimes I'd have a class and there'd be two people. And I'm like, uh, but then it was, you know, say the first Tuesday of every month, then the next month it'd be 15. So it's like, doesn't matter, just keep doing it and it will incrementally grow your business. Wow. I love it. I mean, it's like, it's really that simple. So here's what we really want to know. So you are obviously consistent, natural, consistent, you knew your market, you engage with your sphere of influence and potential just ideal clients. Mm -hmm. Then your business picks up and only 12 years into the business, you, some people would say that's slow. I would say that's fast. You decide you're going to start a brokerage. Is that, how did that evolve? What happened? What led up to that? Um, so just, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I like, I think every company has pros and cons, good and bad. And I just thought once in a while, I'd catch myself thinking, oh, I would rather do it this way. Or if I was starting my own thing, I'd do it this way. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this because if I don't, I may regret this kind of talk about or think about deathbed decisions or 
Mm-hmm. Like on your deathbed, are you going to look back and say, I wish I would have done that and taken the chance. So I was nervous because my kids were probably junior high and high school. And I was like, is this crazy because somebody's got to pay for college? And, you know, should I be like starting something? This was 2012 and the market wasn't great. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to start it. And if it doesn't work, I can go sell or I can go manage for someone. Let's just give this a try. So um, we started again. I just did not want to do it in the basement of my house. Like I'm not doing it. That way. So we started in a hotel room in the Hilton um, primarily because the place I wanted, I was thinking that some space was coming up, but it wasn't ready. So I'm like, okay, for two months, you know, there's a suite and we had desks in there and um you know, we're going to start, like, I have to show up somewhere. I can't work out of my house. That's just me personally. Yeah. And, uh, agents started coming. So that was really exciting. Um, I remember my first agent, I was like, are you crazy? We're in a hotel room. Like, do not entrust your real estate career with me. But it was really fun and kind of scrappy. Everybody was really excited and uh, would meet clients in the restaurant. And they never knew that we had our office there. We'd just be like, oh, we'd love to represent you. <laughs> In the sale of your home. They just love it. Much. Well, it gave everybody like your common ground to convene and build the camaraderie yes. of the agents in the office. Yeah. So, really so cause you go in, you're a real estate agent, you're going to start your own thing. I mean, how did you, like, obviously you just don't know, but I think there are a lot of people who want to do something different, take the next step, but it's just like, Oh, but what if, what was the, what was the push? What was the, I think it was the, you said the deathbed, which I love that. Like, but what about, what about owning a brokerage mattered at the end of the day for you? Why a brokerage? Um, well, so, and where I was, I had been at two different companies and the second companies that I wasn't, I was feeling not in alignment with the culture. And um, it was getting very corporate and numbers. And I could see a lot of people were unhappy. And I just thought, I kept thinking like, huh, I would do it this way. And then I just thought, okay, like put your money where your mouth is. And again, start. If it doesn't work, you know, that's okay. You can go do something else. But I think it really was creating a community. I wanted to be agents who are really committed, to like fabled service, um, good, productive agents who are very involved in the community. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do this, like they want to create their own world sort of. So mm-hmm. they do things to create what they wish they were experiencing. I love that. Just if you can't, like, if it's not there, just make it. Yeah. So another question. It's easier than trying to change the culture of like a bigger company, you know, like that's yeah. how I think it's going to work. So, you know, figure yeah. out your vision and go towards your vision. Oh, well, figure out your vision and go towards it. I, I, figure out your vision. You go for it. You no, know, that's for agents. I love when you're saying ideal customer, ideal client, because I believe that too, as far as like, what do you, what do you love doing? What properties do you love working with? Who do you want to work with? And we don't always get our ideal, but again, create that vision. So you know what you're going towards. Yeah. Create your vision and go for it. I love still conflict arises when expectations differ. All right. Now, well, first of all, because a lot of people that go into brokerage, they sell and own. Did you immediately, did you kind of sell and then graduate into only owning or how did you make that decision? What did that part of it look like? Yeah. So um, a little bit of selling because I got to be honest, like you got to pay the bills and I had money and savings and, you know, looked at where can I get money and things like that. But I also knew, I think a problem, sometimes people start their own brokerages they're trying to sell. And then they sort of, as an afterthought, bring on agents. 
I yeah. think you have to think about those are my clients. So how do I provide value to them? That's got to be job one if I really want to grow this. So I'm again, I'm going to yeah. compare it to being an agent. Like it's not about you. It's about your clients. How do you solve their problems? How do you provide value to them? If you want to grow your business, just provide more value. So quickly, like I just knew I wanted to do the training, the coaching, some recruiting, just kind of creating the culture and the vision of the company. Wow. And now today you have how many agents? I'm um, 180. We have two offices with 180 agents. Two offices with 180? Uh-huh. I mean, so that, that's amazing. That's your own. Usually it's like, yeah, we get to that number when we franchise or do something kind of corporate, but you've got 180 agents of your own office, own branding, own everything. What has been, there are two questions I have in mind. One, when you transitioned to being a broker, what was the biggest kind of shift? Because there had to be the unexpected things and the biggest differences and then into that getting so big. But let's start back with just shifting from agent to broker owner. Mm -hmm. What did you learn and what can we learn from you for those of us who want to be great agents and those of us who want to grow great teams or, or maybe even start a brokerage? Um, know your strengths, work in your strength zone, get out of the other zone. <laughs> like we wouldn't be here if I were doing the accounting and all of that stuff, because that's not my forte. So, you know, surround yourself with good people. And really everybody's got a zone of genius. Um, you know, I might be good at some things, put me in the accounting role, I would be a failure. And likewise, you know, the, our accountant, she's great at what she does. She's like, please never, I never want to make a phone call. So it's like, know your zone of genius. So whether you're an agent or starting a brokerage, um, yeah. Know your zone of genius. Mm -hmm. So you going in, how did you know? Well, I think we said this, but I'm going to repeat it because I'm still on that. There's so many people, especially when they're running their own brokerage and they're not able to franchise or work for, a, be a part of a corporate world, they're selling, they're, they're doing both. They're selling and owning. Yes. And you're able to not do that. And I think it's so that you can focus on your role as an owner to serve the agents in your brokerage. Completely, completely. And I think that's part of the reason we started in a hotel room was I was afraid if I just like, okay, I'll set up shop in my home. And little by little, I'm like, I think I have to be all in. Like I have to, we need to grow quickly and really become substantial so we can keep this going. I was just afraid if it went very slowly, I would never get there. And, and similarly, when I started as an agent, um, you know, your first few months, you don't make any money at all. And I remember paying my nanny babysitter and almost like crying like <laughs> this big check. am i gonna I'm get it back home. right but i just knew for me it wasn't gonna be like i'll stay home with kids and i'll do a little on the side and ramp up i was just afraid i kind of stay in that sort of uh, like not getting to where i want to get to so I'm and how did you know that i think most people are the opposite they play it safe and that's exactly yeah. what happens but it's easy to kind of kid yourself how yeah. did you know what's so counterintuitive to so many people well i think it goes back to vision like what do you want to where do you want to get to? So if you want to become an agent that's making, you know, a really good living and, you know, you have an income goal, what things you need to do to get there? And for me, that's going to be focus and building a database and just, it needs that time and commitment. Yeah, exactly. So same so, with the brokerage, if you want it to look a certain way, like I want to have enough agents that we have enough staff and we can serve the agents well, then I need to probably the number one thing initially is recruiting and then developing those agents, helping them. 
Now in do which takes a lot of focus. So in doing that, it, what did you find? What was the biggest challenge in launching truly your own brokerage? Like it's beyond your own team. Yeah. Um, just so anybody wants to start a brokerage or be a sales manager is three easy things. I didn't make this up. I heard this somewhere, but it's recruit talent, develop talent and spend less than you bring in. That's it. <laughs> so recruit, like, develop. And, and then one last thing you make. Yeah. Bringing in more money than you're spending. So you recruit them, you develop them and you spend less than you make. Uh-huh. That simple. Yeah. And I think sometimes, sometimes people don't want to do the recruiting, but I do think it's like, you're trying to build a team and a community. So if you believe in what you're doing, you feel excited about it. You're going to talk to everybody to find the people who would be a good match. Um, and then also, how do you develop? Like if they entrust their real estate career with you, you want to be a vehicle to help them develop. So, keep mm -hmm. that, you know, it's just like when we list a property, we want to sell the house and help the seller reach their goal. Same with agents. We want to help them reach their goals. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit early on. So we'd move from the hotel room into a really small space. And, you know, yeah. a few years of stress of are we going to be able to bring in more than we spend? And there's an agent in town and he did not have a good reputation. He was productive, but, you know, not a match for us. But he called me and just said, hey, I saw you open your own thing and I'd love to talk to you and blah, blah. And I was like, no, you know, that's great. You're, you know, I don't think we're a match and no disrespect, but what you were working on and what we're trying to do, it's not going to be a match. That was really hard because I was like, am I crazy? Like we need revenue. But I think it goes back to that vision and kind of core values. Yeah. And would have taken that person. That would have been a short term, like income gain, but it would have kept other agents from coming. So isn't that powerful? Yeah. I mean, what a great lesson because it's so easy to look at the short term yeah. and so much to gain. But in the long term, especially it's like once you've been in business mm -hmm. and time goes by and you see your you wait, the less like the goods, like it's like that time went by so quickly and the compound effect of those decisions, good and bad. Yes. It's it's kind of amazing if you could almost like go backwards or like, well, get backwards for younger people. Yeah, we're speaking the same language of like, what's your vision? And then stay in alignment with that. Because if you get out of that and you make some decisions that are out of alignment and then it compounds. So each little decision and everything you put into your business, it will grow and stay moving towards that vision that you set out to. Just know your vision. Know your vision. Know your vision and keep it, keep it clear, keep it concise, mm -hmm. keep it simple. Yeah. So what do you, what is it? You've kind of given us a lot, but if you summed it up in in your brokerage, and then I want to talk to you more about running teams and running brokerages and infrastructure of that. But what do you think it is? Again, it's so impressive to have a company of this stature in today's in today's market, especially when it's gotten not only has it gotten real competitive amongst real estate agents, it has a, amongst real estate brokerages. What do you what is that common denominator? for for red key realty and what's the combinator for your brokerage because that's kind of an anomaly almost today yeah i would say um i keep saying the same stuff over and over but no it's okay it's like the point yeah <laughs> like we have a lot of diversity in our brokerage um and we have a common like core value and a lot of it's like servant leaders like if we help our clients achieve their goals we'll achieve our goals um one of them yeah. is honey badger i don't know if you've ever seen the honey badger video yes i have okay so one of my husband writes is... it way too often 
Wait, I don't know. We may or may not share, but it's so true. <laughs> but yeah, here. we are honey badgers. We are. There's going to be problems in a real estate transaction or in life, but we will be relentlessly focused on solutions. So you got a bad inspection, honey badger don't care. You got yeah. stung by a bee. Like find the solution. And you are going. not saying the same things, by the way. You didn't mention honey badger or any of that, but relentless focus on solutions and common values. Anyway, keep going. Yes. So, so people who like that, like, I know, I think the clearer you get in your vision and what you're trying to create and your job is to keep communicating and keep working on it, it starts to attract people. And, you know, we hire, we fire, we promote to core values. We've had hard conversations when we hire an agent, we talk about core values. When we have to let an agent go, it's always a core value conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes either way. Like if there's a problem, we sit down, I just bring them out. And I'm like, okay, we seem to be out of alignment. Like, tell me what's going on. And either they get defensive and they're mad and like, how dare you? And they're like, okay, we need to part ways. Or they're like, I had a bad day. I'm so sorry. This is, I want to be here. I agree with the core values. And we all get that. We all get that, you know, grace. Yeah. we all have bad days. So I think that's part of it because you spend so much time at work and you want to have relationships with the people that you work yeah. with. So I think that's a lot of it too. Wow. So you said two things, your common values. And with you, it's what I'm hearing for Red Key Realty. It's serving others and going after solutions relentlessly. Yes. Serving others for their goals and going after solutions for them relentlessly. Like the yes. honey badger. Yeah. And in success, it's knowing number one, you had that vision and you knew it. And number two, you know your values. And you know whether the people along your side along the way did their values align with mine or not and right. that's when you know the difference of who yes. to keep on the but but the bus and who to yeah let off yeah all right looking at well i have two questions running in my mind one more thing on real estate well actually i can merge these questions so looking at successful real estate agents, successful real estate agents, successful teams, and being a broker of a successful brokerage, let's talk first about what is the infrastructure? Is there a certain way to set up a team and or a brokerage that it works? And I'm not talking like, I'm talking like you need a buyer's agent, you need a, I mean, whatever. Not everybody does that. Like, are there certain pieces of the puzzle or there certain roles that people need to have or what's the what do you is there any common like way these teams work best when you're looking at all these agents in your company i would say first thing is get leverage if you're a busy agent get leverage and that can be technology that can be systems or that can be people um so if it's people it can be part-time and again some people do a virtual assistant or they have someone who comes in you know three mornings a week but so you can stay in your zone of genius the thing that's going to make you money that's talking to clients that's you know, knowing the real estate market that's reaching out, that's writing contracts. And then what can you hand off to someone else who loves that and does a great job? So you can start very small. I would say something, sometimes I see an agent get really busy and then they're like, I need a buyer's agent. It's like, I don't think, I mean, typically your first hire should be administrative to help take things off your plate and then you'll make more money. Again, it shouldn't be a big cost. It should be an investment that you're going to make more because you're going to offload a mm -hmm. lot more. You know, you can be in your dollar productive stuff. Exactly. So technology systems, people, whatever you do, leverage it to stay in your zone of genius. Mm -hmm. And when you see teams, is it usually like first you hire an admin 
Mm-hmm. And then what say so you once you get to a team that is at its ultimate, do you have how many admins, how many buyers agents, or is there have you ever seen a formula that you think works best? I think it really depends on how big you want your business to be. I would say a thing, a few things I've seen to watch out for. I've seen some people grow big teams and then they don't like it anymore because they feel like they're the HR person. They're not doing, they're not in their zone of genius. They're hiring and coaching. And I mean, just depends on what you want to do. So really look at what are you good at? What do you get energy from doing? So I've seen small teams who are super productive and everybody's making great money. So again, it's just, what's that vision? Is it a big team? Is it a certain lifestyle? What's most important to you? Um, But if you grow a big team, then there you go. You got to have a vision. And then you have to look at the people who are working with you. How can you become a vehicle to help them grow and develop. You're going to recruit talent. You're going to develop talent. Recruit, develop, and spend less than you make. Yes. At least ultimately. Yes. I love it. All right. And looking at agents, looking at real estate agents in your brokerage, what do you say, if you could sum it up to like one thing, what is the common denominator of the most, the agents who make it and or most successful agents? Um, Okay. So this is, I don't know, agents talk like this, but KPIs, or um, your measurables. So if you want business, it's going to be conversations with people. I heard somebody say like conversations equal conversion. <laughs> so like if you want more business, talk to more people. Um, I'm a big believer. I just think it's all about relationships. Like real estate's important, but the relationships you build along the way are more important. And so one of my top agents, she's doing like close to 60 million with a small team. And she's got a big database and they've done many, many different things and they're successful. And I was talking to her and she said, their number one thing is their top 50 client list. That's it. She's like, everything else could go away. So whether you're a brand new agent or a successful team, you know, you may have a huge database, but if you had 50 people who referred one or two deals to you a year, you're in great shape. And the, so, think about like all the leads that could come your way that you can't serve and all they become is phone calls you don't return. And how good is that for future business? Yes, definitely. Or people who love you, who refer you business, who you who is they know it's good business for you because they know you and there's rapport and trust up front. Yes. Like the, the, the here's the, the formula is so simple. And talking to you, Jill, it's like you make it just even cleaner and simpler, which I love. Thank you. So and I just I just totally believe it because it's like, you know, again, I don't think I have anything original. I just heard it somewhere else. But it's like all things being equal, people want to work with their friends. So go out and make friends like be good at real estate and connect to people. Um, yeah. so sometimes I'll see new agents getting ready to get ready and they don't know everything. And they just, and I'm like, mm, start your top 50 list, make sure they're in a database, show up, bring value to them, you know, and, and grow, you can grow beyond that, but there needs to be your top 50 and they get, you know, the lunch appointment or they get the special treatment or, you know, whatever it is you're doing, but solve their problem and create value outside of the real estate transaction. And they will feel that they want to help your business. So like, that is the best advice ever. Like narrow it down to 50, forget even a hundred, especially for newer agents and you know, newer agents and then more seasoned agents, because the more seasoned you get, the more valuable your core people, you run out of time. So you need to really hone down who you spend your time on and maybe like 10 or five would be good. Right. But like, keep it small. 
Yes. And you know, you may have a big database, but you're going to have your advocates and that's where your focus should be your time and your money and your energy. Always, always. But I would say, especially when you're new and especially when you're further in your career, those are the two most important times, just listening to you and knowing everybody I know and how to do it. All right. So give us like looking at your whole career of brand new agent, having babies. I mean, that's that in of itself is a lot but you were organized and clear and concise about it and didn't complicate it for yourself like so many of us do and now you own a brokerage of 180 agents what is probably your most memorable lesson over those years like it was some crazy story where you transformed or whatever you would share with us out of that your biggest memory good question um well, so I'm going back, this is sort of a core value, but we just say our mission statement is love, service, and fun. And that just means love is unconditional positive regard. So it's build relationships. Service is solve problems and fun, make it fun. So um, if you can, so with your clients, with your team, but I would just say, you know, have fun. Like life is short. And if we're having fun, I would judge my success by if I'm having fun. And right now, like I love what I do so much. I would you know, I would never want to retire because like, this is so fun. I would be the most annoying retired person. <laughs> be like, let's set our goals and let's have a meeting and let's, yeah. um, but make sure you're having fun. And that just sort of permeates. And I think it's probably what the world needs of just like upbeat, happy people connecting. Um, so it's, it's important. Yeah. So many of us do a lot of fun it. stuff, but that's about right, it. It's so funny. It's like, if you're having fun, it must not be that good. It yeah, must not be that really valuable. Doing it right. Because when you're in your zone of genius, you're having fun. And that's why it's sometimes hard for people to know what their zone of genius is. Cause they're like, this is fun. This can't be it. It must be something that's really hard. It's this like, is, right, right. It's, it's too easy. Cause you're just, that feels good to you. Um, now we, and long story, I'm going backwards, but um, no, please, so I love a, it. A, my, a broker at my former place joined me, which I was so shocked because he likes security. And I'm like, again, are you sure you want to join forces? He came over and we would have a meeting every Friday and we were so startup oriented with very little money, you know, just trying to, again, make sure we have enough for payroll and rent. That's all we need. And I just had this idea that, you know, sometimes people get moving trucks and put all their name and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But what do people need more often if you only move seven times? I mean, every seven years. So I'm like, what if we got a limo? What if we got a limo and we brought clients to closing and made it a big celebration? Or you want to take your client out for, you know, dinner and we have a red key limo. And Klaus, my broker friend just like put his head on the desk. I thought he was going to cry. Like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, you know, we do not need a limo. Well, we found a limo and it was nice and it wasn't very expensive. And um, so we do that. We take our clients to closing. And then we also like try to do special events and, um, you know, clients love it. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, like they've never been in a limo or whatever, or they'll want to like pick up their kids at school and go get ice cream. And so I think have fun. I love it. Just yeah. life short, make it fun. Exactly. And look at the memory and like how special you make people feel and just plants that memory. It's like part of that dream. So we, we, had an, we had an interview that came out actually right now, everybody, it hasn't even come out yet, but the interview is about making, making that magic for clients and making awesome. it happen. Awesome. And like, like buying a home is the American dream. Yes. Make it a, like, make that dream a dream and make it magical because it really is. Yeah. And sometimes you've gone through, you know, you had to write many contracts or you had struggles in the inspection. So this hopefully is a celebration day, you know, so 
pick them up in a limo, have champagne, have chocolates, like just really celebrate the accomplishment. Exactly. I love it. All right. So now we're coming in. Well, we're going to do our final three, but not yet. I want to ask you one more question. Going back to running a business, you're hiring and firing. We talked a little bit, but any other thoughts on anything else you can share on when you're looking at building a team or starting a brokerage and you're hiring people, how do you know who's right for what job and who to so hire? You want core value match. So know your core values and hire to the core values, um, but like fill in the hole. So have you ever done the DISC, the DISC mm -hmm. assessment? So high eyes, which I have a lot of eye, but often they'll hire other high eyes and that's a paid audience. Like you're gonna have fun, but that's not what you need. Like find the things that you can't do or don't like to do and fill in those holes. And again, go back to zone of genius, like people who naturally like to do those things, you know, make sure they're in the right, seat on the bus so start with a job description what you need them to do and then someone who naturally likes to do that mm -hmm. and has a, and i guess how you know is 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 it because the disc isn't going to do it all but at least it yeah. gives their they what are their kind of tests you usually give them how do you know um, yeah well i do the colby which is another one so i would say anyone who's growing a team or starting a brokerage there's a book called traction by gina wickman oh yeah and it's it's been really good as far as you know you have a vision you have measurables you have people um getting the right people on you know in the right seats and then everybody knows like this is what i need to do that will impact us achieving our goals or getting to the vision and reading traction yeah my biggest takeaway was you can't tell them when you tell them twice or three times, you've got about five or so times to go before they get it. Uh -huh. Just remember, you yeah. got to tell them like eight times. That was such a big one for me. Yes. What about for you? What was your biggest takeaway from that book? Um, you know, probably self-awareness. I'll go back to the Colby. Um, it's an assessment and through EOS. What is the Colby? Remind us, by the way, I should have asked you, what does Colby oh, test for? Um, I think it's how people take action. So. Mm. I don't know a lot about this stuff, but I think it's like the disc can be more preference-based. So you may see movement. Like sometimes you may show up as a higher D or a higher C. This Colby, they're saying it won't change much. It's how you take action, what makes you take action. And um, there are four areas they look at. And one of them is quick start. And quick start, if you are long on a scale of 10, if you're a long quick start, that means you're innovative and you take risks. If you're a short quick start, that means you stabilize. Well, a good team needs both of those. And um, when I took it, the coach who gave it to me said, wow, you create chaos for your team. I'm like, no, I don't. That's crazy. I came back and told the team, they're like, yay, you totally create chaos. Because I'll be like, let's buy a limo. Let's start a real estate company. I mean, I like to do new things. That's not chaos, right? That's it. Yes. I thought everybody operated that way. I didn't think that was chaos. I'm probably the same because I'm thinking like, well, why would you, you would? And then I saw my team, a lot of them were short quick starts and they want stability. So it makes them feel really, you know, nervous and easy. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty. So it's sort of like, we, we appreciate each other that, okay, I'm going to have ideas. We're going to filter through and pick the good, like one or two, we don't need 10 or 20. We need one or two and we will systematically implement them. So I think it's like, what helped me was uh, that the way I was, we all think everybody reacts or sees things the way we do. No, they don't, which makes a good team. So know your strengths and then have respect and appreciation for the other strengths that your team members are bringing. 
So thank you to answer this along the way, but to be sure we didn't miss it. If being a, so you've got a quick, you've got Colby's, you've got quick starts and short quick starts. Yeah. Quick starts are innovative, take risk. Yes. They want to do 10 things at once. Yes. And then you got a short quick start that just wants the stability. Right. They want, if they see a lot going on, they want, they're going to organize it for you, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, but having that mutual respect, like we need both. Yeah. So how do you, I think you said this, I think you said like, because you can drive a short quick start crazy into to just quitting because yeah. of all the uncertainty and anxiety. Yes. So as someone who think, I mean, like, for me, it's like that's survival. You gotta, you, we gotta do, like, and it's fun. So, yeah. how do you navigate? It says you said navigate, you just do two at a time, or how do, how do you navigate that to, to keep the innovation and keep the stability and keep the team together? Yeah, no, if you're a quick start, you have to stay in innovation. That's your zone of genius. You need to have an assistant or whoever's closest to you needs to be a mid range so they can go either way. Mm. So then your accountant or someone else might be a short quick start, like a one or two, but you just want to make sure, you know, you don't want to apologize constantly for innovating and you don't want to push people where they feel stressed out all the time. So you just have to find the right team. So you just find the right people. Uh-huh. And, and test for it. I mean, because, you know, you want to set them up for success so they feel good and happy where they are. I also heard this, like, it's like a rubber band stretching. So if you put someone in a position, they could maybe do it for a while, but it's taking so much energy and eventually they're just going to snap. And like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Put them in a place where they naturally like what they're doing and feel like it's a good fit for them. They're going to stay with it longer. And how many jobs are there really for a short, quick start in our business? It's kind of a um, you know, that's an innovation. transaction manager. Well, probably in real estate, you're going to have to have it a little bit, some flexibility because real yeah. estate is so, changing so much. Yeah. So, I mean, just like talk about, I've heard of the Colby and I think I knew, but disc is always what you hear about. Definitely. Yeah. I kind of know where I'm coming out on that Colby. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I'd say is test for skills. So if you're hiring a marketing person or a transaction coordinator, give them a few things like, here's my database. Can you input these? I've made the mistake where I've hired people who say they can do stuff and then they can't. And then it becomes a tough conversation and you train and you train and you train. So I've learned to give them a little um, skills test. Mm hmm. And do you have the do you just go and figure out what you need or do you have a test that you give them that they take that kind of covers the skills already or how does that work? No, I have somebody else on the team. So I have somebody who knows accounting to give them that or have someone else say, OK, here's the information. Can you make a flyer, you know, with the software? So like have another marketing or admin person help with that part of it. Yeah, we actually did a job application once where we had all of these things to do and then we had to record themselves doing it and put it in a Google file so that mm -hmm. they had to do it, record it, and then if it made it in the Google file, then that would qualify them to be reviewed for consideration. And if the stuff never even got there, exactly, then we didn't have to talk to them. Yeah, no, that's but exactly. I only, But I did that once a long time ago. That was mm -hmm. just a great reminder to do that stuff again because you're exactly right in that Colby. All right, so. And it's all the same brokerage or team. It's not all the same, but in that respect, last question, I think, before I ask you the final three, what is the difference between running a team and running a brokerage? Um, I just think the more you scale, the more you have to get really honed in on what's your zone of genius and be able to delegate and let go of other stuff. If you can't do that, then that's okay. I mean, that's your lid. So 
Um, probably the thing I still have to, like, I love marketing and I want to get in marketing and do it all the time, but I have other stuff I have to do as well. So it's just making sure you have strong people around you that you can delegate and let go and let them own it. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And finding the right people mm -hmm. is what helps you, you make sure they own it. You're always looking for talent. You know, we're recruiting talent, whether you have a team or a brokerage, you're always looking for talented people. Always room for talent. Yes. All right, now the final three. Number one, what do you think has been your biggest resource in your success? Um, always find experts. I'm just a quick start, like I wanna go fast. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So if you're an agent, you know, find coaches or trainers or your brokerage, you know, and if other people are succeeding and it's in alignment with you, follow the system. That would be my, you know, you don't have to make it up. On don't reinvent the wheel. Right. And again, if you're a brokerage owner, there are other, there's people you can talk to, find out what's working and then adapt what would work for you. Pretty straightforward. But I love the first thing you said was always find experts. Mm -hmm. Number two, if there's a book that you think has been the most resourceful, changed your career and life or both, what is it? We just have to read. And career. I'm going to go back to traction because, um, you know, we were just sort of doing it on our own and it gave us, it's how entrepreneurial companies scale. So, you know, we may have the vision, but we didn't have the systems and we actually hired an EOS coach. So we hired an expert. So we tried for maybe six months on our own to do it and we weren't doing very well. So then we're like, okay, we'll just hire an implementer. So, um, and again, it's just all the stuff we're saying, but learn, be in your zone of genius and then build a strong team around you with systems. Everybody replay what she just said, because there were like 10 pieces of good advice, but one of them talked about, you called it, you said an EOS coach, but hiring an implementer. Yeah. So you have made it clear from day one, you were a huge visionary and visionaries often do a lot at once, think fast, high risk, and they see the vision but you just talked about it's got to be implemented while yeah. you're doing a lot you hired what you an eos coach you hired the implementer just to make sure and you mm -hmm. tried it for six months without one tell us a little bit in an eos coach what is that exactly what um EOS so stand for? they're just people who you know work in the system and go to companies and then you have one once a quarter you meet as your team with the implementer and they just kind of walk through things and they follow a system. So you had an EOS coach to say, this is what to do. And then an actual implementer say who actually like, but rather than you who knew what you wanted, you had an EOS coach oversee the implementer that you hired to put all the stuff in place. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, yes. And again, it's been, you know, different levels of investment, but um, you nailed it on. I love to have ideas and go fast. But there's a whole, you know, you have to take care of the systems. So simply mm -hmm. keep going back to agents. You could go meet a lot of people. Now they need to end up in a database. So when you're busy, they're getting consistent, persistent marketing. That's how you build, you know. So go out and do things, but have things that will keep it growing consistently. And that's not my strong suit. So let me find that person. And again, look at it as investment because sometimes agents don't want to hire a coach because of the expense. But it's like if you really want to be great at this you know, this investment should impact your income and your career. I don't know any athlete or anybody that doesn't have some kind of mentor and coach that got them there. That's great. Yes. Not one. Uh-huh. I agree. Okay. 
Now, last but not least, if there's one thing you hope that I and everybody listening takes away from our conversation today, if we just are going to forget everything else, which hopefully we don't, but what would that one thing be? Um, okay. It's going to sound really like warm and fuzzy or um, love on your people. I think during COVID, that's what we need the most. So, you know, call your clients and it doesn't have to be anything other than how are you doing? I just was thinking of you end of story or how's your family. Um, we typically do a red key retreat every year. We didn't do it last year because of COVID. So this year we did, it's just an overnight. Um, and typically it's more business planning. This year I'm like, you know what? It's just about seeing each other, going for a walk outside. Um, it was much more about life and what you want to create and the connections and relationships that are important to you. So, you know, call your clients, love on your clients and you're going to get more clients. I love it. Thank you, Jill. Love on your people. Yeah. And Jill Butler, St. Louis, Missouri, with Red Key Realty, 180 agents and going. I mean, you're running on love, serve. What was the last one? Fun. Love, serve. Oh, of course. See there? <laughs> and have fun. Awesome. Jill, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. To find more episodes, search Jerry Metcalf podcast on any platform for podcasts or go to jerrymetcalfpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-E-T-C-A-L-F podcast.com.